You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode marks one year of producing this podcast every single week. Wow. It feels like a huge milestone. I have learned so much in the past year, and I'm so grateful to all of my listeners and especially all of the yoga teachers who have reached out and asked questions and given me feedback about the podcast. You are the reason that I keep going. You're absolutely my inspiration for this. Like I said, I have learned an incredible amount, so that is what I'm going to share with you in today's episode. Some of the things that I've learned have been about the business and the culture of yoga and teaching yoga, and some of them have been about myself. The story and the learning began even before I decided to start this podcast. In February of last year, that's 2018, I did a project where I had 100 conversations with yoga teachers. I knew at the time that working with yoga teachers is my passion, and I wanted to best understand how I can help them. The conversations were incredibly fun. They were often touching, and they sometimes went very deep. I was surprised by how fulfilling and rewarding it was to just hop on the phone with a fellow teacher and hear a bit of their story. About two-thirds of the way through the project, I realized I did not want it to end, and I decided to start the podcast and the Facebook group to keep the conversations flowing. I also realized how much of a passion I have for working one-on-one with yoga teachers, and I decided that for at least the first year of the podcast, I would focus on one-to-one work. I'm profoundly grateful for the yoga teachers who've taken me up on this, who have put their trust in me by signing up for strategy sessions and coaching packages. At this moment, I'm filled up for ongoing coaching, but I do plan to take on a few more clients in the fall. So if you're interested in that, let's hop on the phone for a quick call and we can see if we're a good fit. It's easy to sign up for a clarity call at teachingyoga.net slash clarity. I'm also launching a group coaching package in the fall for yoga teachers who want an intimate community of support, and a more cost-effective way to work with me. You can get on the wait list so that you're the first to find out details when they're released by going to teachingyoga.net slash mastermind. If you have just a few topics that you want to get my feedback about sooner than the fall, I have some availability for single strategy sessions, and you can find a link to schedule at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. When I talk about the things I've learned in the past year through the podcast, the information is really coming from multiple places, and they're all related to the podcast, but they're not necessarily about the time I take to sit down and record. Some does come from that, but it also comes from the feedback I get from listeners via email and on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group, from my one-to-one work with yoga teachers, and even the 100 conversations that started it all. The first thing that I learned that really surprised me is how many yoga teachers struggle with their personal practice. I don't know why I think that's funny. It's funny because I know what I'm about to say, which is I'm surprised that I'm surprised because I struggle sometimes. 
When I was first learning to teach, the importance of a personal practice was hammered home so consistently that I'm hyper aware when my personal practice is suffering. I really notice the effects. The part that surprises me is when I talk to yoga teachers and ask about their home practice, hear that it's pretty much non-existent and they don't see the connection to the challenges that they're having as a teacher. So this came up recently in an on-air coaching call that was released just a few episodes back. But I want to be clear that it's a pattern that I'm hearing over and over. I was really happy when it came up in a coaching call, actually. And I'm so grateful to Brittany for being so open and so vulnerable, because I think that sharing her call is going to help a lot of other yoga teachers who are in a similar situation. If you didn't listen to the episode, basically, when she started teaching, she stopped practicing. In the past, before she was a teacher, she was going to classes. But the classes she's teaching is now, are now replacing the classes she used to take. And there, she never was taught, I guess, in her teacher training, that intermediate step of establishing a home practice to feed the classes that you teach. You can't just pull it out of thin air. There's got to be a foundation there. I also released right after that an episode about the dark side to this expectation of a daily home practice. And that is episode 50. So I'll put links to the episode with Brittany 49 and the episode about a letter I got from another yoga teacher about a struggle with a home practice that was actually too intense. I'll put those links in the show notes. On a similar note, I was surprised by how many yoga teachers are not happy with the teacher training they attended. I think I'm a little spoiled. I live in a a yoga mecca and the competition is quite fierce here, so a subpar training wouldn't last very long. However, through the podcast, through my 100 conversations and my work with yoga teachers, I've heard some pretty disturbing stories from all over the country and all over the world about trainings where the teacher themselves only had a few years of experience and padded the training with a lot of fluff that wasn't supporting the people attending the training and actually becoming good teachers. There's been a lot of discussion recently about teaching standards, especially since the Yoga Alliance is finishing up a really big project of updating theirs. Episode 46, I've got Leslie Kamenoff on the podcast talking about that process and some of the history of how the standards came to be in the first place. So I'm really, really sad to hear that people are offering trainings that don't even take advantage of that 200 hours. We need more than 200 hours, and then beyond that, teachers need teaching experience. I think most of us have heard whispers and rumors about substandard teacher trainings. But until you've actually had a conversation with somebody who attended one, you don't really get the full impact of what that means. So I'm personally really interested to find out what is going to happen next with the Yoga Alliance and what their solutions are. The next lesson I want to share is the one that I think might be the most valuable one for you, dear listener. No matter how outwardly experienced and successful a yoga teacher might be, there is a part of them that questions their path. Over and over, 
I've seen incredibly talented teachers grapple with feelings of unworthiness, comparison, and self-doubt. And it seems like we all think we're the only one thinking about this, feeling this. I think we need to talk about it more. And that's why I recorded episodes 42 and 44. 42 is about self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And 44 is gaining confidence as a teacher, more geared towards the newer teacher who needs this foundation of confidence and awareness that this is something we all have to work with and work through as yoga teachers. Even yoga teachers who seem incredibly confident have some inner turmoil. They might be confident on one level, for example, I know I'm a good teacher, but then they question if people really want what they personally have to offer. The more that I understand that these feelings of doubt and questioning are really universal, the better able, the better equipped I am to deal with my own moments. As yoga teachers, we have not chosen an easy path. When we start to question, it's important to remember that this questioning is part of the process. It's a feature, not a bug. Without questioning, there's no growth. The drop-in weekly class model, where you have different people coming in and out every week, I sometimes think that that leads to a lack of depth in yoga classes. And that lack of depth really is around an inability or or not having a space to talk about the hard parts of teaching and practicing yoga. Our students, especially in those weekly classes, they come to move and to feel better. So we really need to spend our time, our precious time in those classes as they're getting shorter and shorter, doing the practices, doing the asana, the pranayama, the meditation. And there's not a lot of time to talk about the obstacles and the challenges because until a practitioner has faced those, they are not going to land anyway. They're not going to be relevant. This is one reason why I love the teacher training format so much. In teacher training, yes, we teach technique, and then we advise you to go and practice on your own. Once you've done that, then when you come back the next time we meet, there's an opening for much, much deeper conversations. So that's how things work in the training that I teach at, but it may or may not be the case in all trainings. Many, and maybe even most people, sign up for teacher training because yoga simply makes them feel good. And so we think we're just going to get more of that in teacher training. Now, in some teacher trainings, like the one that I teach at, a lot of stuff comes up. I can only speak to the ones that I've experienced. So there's definitely a taste of this, like, okay, you're opening some doors. It's not going to all be love and light and peace. There's going to be darkness that comes up, too, to confront and to befriend. Hopefully, you get a lot of support for that through the training, but I don't know of any training that offers ongoing support afterwards. And once you actually start teaching all of these same issues, whatever came up in teacher training, it's just going to be magnified. Ideally, you created a strong community of support, a satsang in your teacher training. So you have your fellow teacher trainees that you connected to and formed bonds with to lean on. 
that is my hope. And I do see that happening at the teacher training I teach at. But now through the podcast, I also have connected with many, many yoga teachers who feel very alone after their teacher training. And they don't know that they're not the only ones who are struggling. And they don't know who or where to reach out for help. I think this is a big reason that so many of the people who take teacher training never actually become teachers. For all the talk of a saturated market for yoga teachers, there are many more people who have completed a teacher training but never ever taught. Speaking of the so-called saturated market, that's another thing that I learned this past year. The market might be saturated in some niches, mostly liberal cities with vigorous vinyasa, but there's still growing demand and not enough yoga teachers in a lot of rural areas and other niches. I've heard from yoga teachers who have not been teaching long, less than a year, and have more work than they can handle. And teachers with maybe five or six years of experience who in their area are considered senior teachers and also have more demand that they can, than they can actually provide. I have clients who live in markets and areas that some would consider saturated at first glance, but because they're clear on the specific people that they help, they also have more work than they can handle and need help figuring out which opportunities to focus on. Here's another thing I've learned in the last year. Learning about business for yoga teachers is not just capitalism and yoga pants. There are lessons to be learned through studying business that can deepen your impact as a yoga teacher and impact your self-growth. Of course, it's not always that way, but that is something that I would not have really considered a year ago. As an example, if you're looking to have an impact on people, if you really want to help people, it's helpful to look for what would be called in business terms, a gap in the market. So this is a place where there's demand that is not being fully supplied. If you can figure out where that is and it is a match for you and your skills and your personality, then you are going to have the opportunity to help more people. So even if you think you live in a saturated market, there are pockets of opportunity. The challenge is to keep trying and keep experimenting until you find the right place for you. If you feel stuck about where that might be, it can definitely help to get an outside perspective. This is something I work on with yoga teachers and strategy sessions. So if you want my help specifically, you can go to teachingyoga.net slash coaching to sign up for a session. The next few things that I want to share about are more personal, and I definitely hesitated before including them. On one level, it feels self-indulgent to talk about myself very much on this podcast. And at the same time, there have got to be other yoga teachers who have similar experiences as I do, and I know my story can help them. The first one's a little embarrassing. (laughs) I learned that I am a control freak. I want to sincerely apologize to some of my early guests who I tried to micromanage out of my fear that the podcast would not provide enough value to my listeners. 
I think some early guests had not been on a podcast before and didn't realize that it's not normal. But I did get feedback from some of my more seasoned guests that I need to loosen up a bit. And I thank them for their honesty. As I go, I found some strategies to help with this. First is the knowledge that I do have some amazing episodes out there already. So if one episode ends up being different from how I envisioned it, it's still probably going to be valuable to somebody. And there's other podcast episodes that are going to work for other people. The second way (laughs) I let go of control is by remembering that I actually do have more control. I can always choose not to release an episode, an interview episode, or I can cut pieces of the interview out. And finally, I have decided to consciously use the podcast interviews as a practice of letting go of control. And the more comfortable I get conducting interviews, the more I'm able to remember to do that. So I think there's some parallels with teaching there where just with some practice, you can let go of the need to control your students too, because I'm sure now seeing this pattern in myself, I'm sure that in the past and probably to some degree now, I wanted to micromanage my students too. All right, the last lesson learned from the podcast is really the most vulnerable, but I think it's important to talk about. Two years ago, my teenage daughter was diagnosed with high-functioning autism, which used to be referred to as Asperger's. As a girl, it presents really differently from boys who are more commonly diagnosed, and girls tend to fly under the radar, which is part of why she was not diagnosed until she was 14. But... The other reason that I missed a lot of the symptoms is because I have them myself. There were a lot of behaviors that I was like, wow, that girl's just like I was at her age. Guess it serves me right. That's my karma. Since I saw so much of myself in her and I had never gotten any kind of diagnosis, I didn't imagine that she really needed one either. But during eighth grade, she started showing signs of anxiety including some really intense anxiety attacks that prevented her from attending school. That's what finally prompted me to take her to a psychologist for testing. And reading over the diagnostic criteria for autism spectrum disorder was eye-opening. I understood at that time that, you know, just reading that, I was like, wow, if I don't meet this criteria myself, I'm pretty darn close. So producing the podcast has been an opportunity for me to continue to examine my own tendencies, my behavior, and to listen to myself as a third party, which is really interesting. When I listen to myself, especially in interviews, I sound very different from how I feel and thought that I sounded. Apparently, I don't have a good sense of my tone of voice and my volume. These are classic signs of autism spectrum disorder. The podcast, combined with my own yoga and meditation practice, has also helped me to recognize how much of my past behavior was driven by anxiety, which is not something, this is not a word I would have used to describe myself. You know, I think maybe even a year ago, definitely not two years ago, I wouldn't have told you I struggle with anxiety. I'm 41 years old. (laughs) During my childhood and for most of my life, I didn't have the language or the framework to understand. 
that the vague fear that prevented me from taking action and connecting with others has a name. Anxiety is really pernicious because it thrives at the edges of your awareness. What I learned from my daughter's psychologist is that anxiety is frequently comorbid or found together with autism, especially when you're high functioning. Because when you sense that you're different, that there are subtle social cues that everyone else understands, but you're missing, it's really unsettling. So this circles back to the control issues because control is a coping mechanism for anxiety. Either I need to control everything or I will avoid taking action because there are simply too many variables for me to control. I found yoga in my 20s, and I understood that it was helping me with challenges that I didn't have a name for. The two components that work their magic in separate but symbiotic ways are mindful movement, where my thoughts narrow their focus to the position and effort of my physical body, and meditation, where my thoughts narrow their focus to the part of me that's beyond personality. The physical effort prepares my mind for the ability to sit still, and the willingness to feel all the uncomfortable feelings that might be lurking at the edges of my awareness. Producing this podcast for the past year has been beyond rewarding. It has helped me to connect with yoga teachers in a very deep way. When yoga teachers first sign up for a coaching package or a strategy session, I ask them to listen to a certain number of episodes before they commit to working with me. First of all, I want to make sure that they resonate with my personality because I am me, just like you are you. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'm an acquired taste or, you know, I'm not for everybody. At the same time, there's already a lot of valuable information available on the podcast. So we can get to the heart of their needs and their desires more quickly when they understand some of the basic principles behind my work. Finally, when yoga teachers who've listened to a bunch of my podcasts start working with me, we start from a foundation of trust and there's less awkwardness. I think we kind of shorten the getting to know you process. And I will say that my coaching clients have become my most cherished community. I adore them for opening up to me, for trusting me and for believing that I have their best interests at heart, which I absolutely do. I feel like they are now some of my best friends and that we will always have each other's backs. So this is a big thank you to everyone who's done a coaching session with me, whether an on-air coaching call, which I do for free, a paid strategy session, and most of all to the brilliant, powerful, open-hearted yoga teachers who work with me in ongoing coaching packages. As a podcast listener, I also include you in the fold of my wider community. Think about the warmth you feel about the students who regularly show up for your classes. That is how I feel about podcast listeners. I do have a Facebook group where we have back and forth conversations. So if you're not a member yet, you can go to teachingyoga.net slash join to find the link for that. I love getting to see your faces and your conversations back and forth. I love hearing your questions and using them to inspire topics for the podcast. Here's to another year of knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. 